Sir. From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony here in the chair until our captain returns next week. So glad to be with you today on the program as we head into the weekend. Are companies behaving differently this Pride Month than in past years? We'll talk about that. In addition, a women's sports bill has gone into effect in Louisiana, but the governor refused to sign it. We'll hear his interesting remarks about the bill later in the program. Also, what's the right way for Christians to think and act during Pride Month? That's the conversation we'll, we'll have in our worldview conversation with David Clausen today at the end of the program. But first, to kick things off, we turn to Washington Stand reporter Marjorie Jackson for today's headline. I'm here outside the U.S. Capitol where last night the January 6th Select Committee, spearheaded by congressional Democrats, met for a primetime television hearing on the events that transpired at the Capitol. Now, through various new video footage and testimonials, the committee built a case for why President Donald Trump was responsible for inciting violence that day. However, according to their Republican counterparts, they seem to believe that this is nothing more than a distracting spectacle. You can expect a Hollywood-style production that they literally hired one of the former ABC executives uh, who's a producer and uh, has lots of credits to his name. This is pure political theater, Tony, and that proves it. We've been saying this all along. That was Congressman Mike Johnson on Washington Watch with Tony Perkins earlier this week. The hearings also highlighted how out of touch the Democrats truly are with the American people, as noted by House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy earlier this week. I don't see any primetime hearings set for gas price, for battling inflation, for feeding our children, for making the streets safer. The left's response to January 6th comes in stark contrast to the way that they've overlooked and downplayed the recent violent attacks against pregnancy resource centers, churches, and even a potential assassin targeting a sitting Supreme Court justice. Despite a unanimous vote in the Senate to increase protection for Supreme Court justices and their families, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi has continued to stall this legislation, pushing the vote until next week. Languages. It may not be a bill, but nobody is in danger over the weekend because uh, of, of not having a bill. Despite the poor reviews it is receiving from Hollywood critics, the January 6th committee production continues on. The next episode of their miniseries will be airing on Monday at 10 a.m. Thank you for that update, Marjorie. And now to talk about all of it is U.S. Representative Mary Miller joins me. She's a member of the House Education and Labor Committee. She represents the 15th Congressional District of Illinois. Congresswoman Miller, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I've always enjoyed your program. For years on the farm, when I was raising my children, I was always an avid and uh, grateful listener 
You are kind to say that, and we are glad to have you as a guest and, and most especially as a member of Congress, as you do fight for the right things. And I would love to hear your perspective on the top story, perhaps, in Washington, D.C. this week. At least the Democrats would like this to be the top story. A lot of people did not tune in for yesterday's hearing, and uh, perhaps, ironically, that includes President Biden, who said he was, uh, quote, doing other business. But what's your reaction to these hearings? Well, the Democrats are not focusing on the things that are uh, impactful to the American people. Basically, you could say Rome is burning, and they're focusing on a sham witch hunt. This is all about keeping President Trump off the ballot in 2024, and it's nothing but political theater. Uh, they're using you know, our tax dollars basically to— um, trot this out in primetime TV hours, and it's nothing but an attack on President Trump. Do you? Th it's clearly an attempt to divert. Um, there's not a lot of good news yes. nationally from gas prices to general inflation and the things no. that are going on uh, at the border. Uh, it's a long list of challenges that the country is facing mm -hmm. right now. Do you think this will be a successful distraction for the Democrats, which is clearly what they're looking for heading into November? I don't think it's going to be a successful distraction. I think that they are going to lose in an outstanding way. I think we're going to take, I'm certain we're going to take back the House. Um, we do need bold fighters out there. President Trump was beloved by us because he was a bold fighter. He didn't fight on the defense. He fought on the offense. He, uh, for things like securing our border and gaining energy independence, those are things that matter to the American people that affect you know, their well-being and their ability to um, run their businesses and basically to live life. I, in fact, I just drove past a gas station here in central Illinois, and uh, gas is $5.20 here. Diesel is $5.93. Um, we're farmers, and all of our equipment is run on diesel. This is very scary. The American people should be alarmed um, in light of agriculture, my husband and I are production farmers, and we are – it's like everything's hitting us at once. We've got outrageous prices for uh, fertilizer plus a shortage, um, equipment shortages, uh, part shortages of parts. We've got a piece of equipment in the shop since November, and all of this stuff is going to snowball. Um, people are going – you know – by the, the fact that they're putting all their money in their fuel tanks, they're not going to have money to spend in other areas. And it's going to just add to the I think we're going to head into a depression over this. Well, we hope it's not an actual depression, to be sure. But, uh, Congressman, there is no doubt that America is experiencing sticker shock. When you see gas prices over $5 a gallon, um, that, and of course, affects the price of every good in every restaurant and every store because transportation is just part of what is required to have a product at the market that we are able to buy. I do want to get into that with you, but I want to talk a bit more about what's going on in Washington, D.C. on these, these hearings uh, because yes. there's – 
there is bipartisan agreement that we don't want violence at the Capitol. We won't, don't want it before an election. We don't want it after an election. And, and certainly we hope to not see a repeat of the events of January 6th. But we've also seen in very recent days other threats of political violence. We've seen churches. We've seen pregnancy centers who have actually been targeted. There's a group called Jane's Revenge, which is claiming uh, claiming responsibility for attacks in North Carolina, in Washington, D.C., in Florida, in Jane's Revenge, referring to Jane Doe. One of the messages that they left at one of these centers was, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. Now, we also know that there was an essentially an attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh. In these hearings in Washington, D.C., are they only focusing on politically convenient violence, or do you see this as a sincere attempt to try to calm the nerves of the country so political violence everywhere is put down? Oh, they're just trying to ramp up the violence. I think they want anarchy because they want to come in and— um, declare martial law. I don't I don't know. They've defunded our police and um you know, opened up the border and you know, we've got catch and release. It's it's just a disaster waiting to happen. But in light of their language, just Senator Chuck Schumer's language, his rhetoric is outrageous. And I do think that it may have contributed to the recent assassination attempt of Justice Brent Kavanaugh I did sign on to a resolution condemning that, and I sure hope my colleagues join me in signing on to that resolution. But um, this is all on purpose, and even the Democrat, House Democrats t- keep talking about these attacks on our democracy. But just this week, they refused to protect our Supreme Court justices from these left-wing terrorists that are trying to assassinate judges because they want to prevent court decisions that they don't like. And another thing, if you go back in 2016 when President Trump was elected, they burned D.C. And I'm not making an excuse for anybody that committed a crime in, you know, on January 6th. Nobody is. But what we're talking about, um, you know, one of the things that's made our country great is nobody's been above the law and that the rule of law applies to everybody. And not only that, but how about burning our cities down in 2020, and these people were were released. And we have people rotting in the D.C. jail. You know, people have a right to a speedy trial. What's going on with this? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And in, in this is something that should be bipartisan, is the idea that we just need to condemn violence of our own side as well as the other side, whatever side we find ourselves on. Because you're right. We did burn not only Washington, D.C., but many other cities in protest, in political protest. Of course, everyone knows what happened on July, on January 6th of last year. But unless we all come together to condemn this stuff, we are going to see more of it. Now, Congresswoman Congresswoman Miller, I want to get into uh, the the inflation that we're seeing, the numbers that came out today. Record highs. Haven't seen Numbers like 8.6% since 1981. It's been a very long time. Uh, President Biden addressed this, again, blaming Putin. I want to play what he had to say here and give you a chance to respond. I understand inflation is a real challenge to American families. Today's inflation report confirmed what Americans already know. Putin's price hike is hitting America hard. 
Congresswoman Mary Miller, is this Putin's price hike? No, he's a fraud and he's betraying the people that he claims to represent. On day one, he shut down the Keystone Pipeline and destroyed 11,000 jobs. And he flippantly makes a comment about how those people could go get a job assembling a solar panel. He doesn't care about the American people. And, yeah, you know, shutting down our gas and oil is 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 it's going to bring us to our knees. In fact, I've recently asked my 20-year-old son to tell me in one word, to give me one word that will describe what has given us the lifestyle we have. And I said to him, we are living in the lap of luxury of all time and all places. Why? And his one word was work. And I said, no, it's not work. It's energy. And I said, you could take two oxen and a plow out into our field and barely eke out an existence. But because of energy, you get to take our Case IH tractor, diesel tractors out there and overproduce. And shutting down our gas and oil is very serious. In Illinois, we're facing an energy crisis. The number one um, place in the United States that's at the greatest threat for blackouts and brownouts this summer is central Illinois, um, which is the, where the Illinois 15 is, where I live, and, and the area I represent. Congresswoman Mary Miller, we do hope that this is going to be resolved very quickly. We thank you for your service, for your time today, for being with us. Thanks so much, and we hope that you have some answers for us in the near future. God bless you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Coming up after the break, it is Pride Month, as we all know. But they are companies. How are companies responding to this? They're beginning to feel pressure from both the left and the right. Are they now responding differently than they have in years past? That's the conversation that we are going to have when we come back here on Washington Watch. Don't go anywhere. Join Family Research Council on an exciting two-year journey through the Bible. FRC's Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan helps you to dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into the cultural issues of the day. God has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. By studying the Bible, we can see God's plan unfold throughout the past and be encouraged by how the truth of Scripture is still relevant in our current day and will be into the future. The Stand on the Word reading plan engagingly and thoughtfully takes you through the daily scripture to help you stay grounded in God's truth. You can start this reading plan with Family Research Council today. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your family and friends. Visit frc.org Bible to begin this journey through the Bible today. Although most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, studies show that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. That is why Family Research Council's Center for Biblical Worldview was created. The center serves to help Christians understand the importance of Scripture, why it must be authoritative, and how it can equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. 
The experts at FRC Center for Biblical Worldview provide resources to help prepare believers to give a scriptural answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access these free resources at frc.org slash worldview. See the center's latest blogs, op-eds, and publications by signing up for the newsletter at frc.org slash worldview email. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Again, search Stand Firm and download the app today. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in with for Tony with you today. So glad that you're with us. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com where you can watch this and every episode of Washington Watch at your convenience. It's Pride Month and corporate America has been pulling out the rainbows. But this year, companies are no doubt thinking twice about how to approach Pride Month. After the uprisings, we have recently witnessed against Disney, State Farm, and others who have received unwanted attention for their pro-LGBT activism. Meanwhile, companies are also feeling heat from the other side. On Wednesday, the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBT political action group, announced that companies wishing to be recognized as a, quote, best place to work for LGBTQ plus equality will need to do more than be LGBTQ friendly or inclusive. They will, quote, need to be bar setters for how companies can do even more, end quote. What's that mean? Well, joining me now to talk about it is Justin Danoff. He's the head of corporate governance at Strive Asset Management. Justin, welcome back to the program. It's always great to talk to you, Joseph. I appreciate the opportunity. And well, it's good to see you. What's your reaction to HRC's announcement? And what in the world does it mean to be a bar setter for how companies can do even more? Yeah, um, it sort of reminds me of the phrase, like, stop me from winning more, right? You know, the HRC has been so successful in being the tail that wags the dog of corporate action, um, not just in Pride Month, but really 365 days a year when it comes to workplace trainings on LGBTQ plus issues and outward facing events uh, promoting LGBTQ plus causes. So in the original year of the Corporate Equality Index, only a handful of companies got a quote-unquote perfect score. And of, co of course, Joseph, you and I know that they ratchet up the parameters that are, go into the index every year to get even more corporate be um, behavior, money, and action behind HRC's causes. And so now that so many companies, the vast majority of them, frankly, that they pull get a perfect score, 
on the corporate equality index, they need more to set a new benchmark. And what I found most telling about HRC's statement was that companies will only be quote unquote bar setters if they are nominated by their own employees. And so this is a phenomenon that I've witnessed in business um, large and small uh, for the last 12 plus years that there's this you know, small minority of employees that are the squeaky wheel that get corporate leaders to act and move very quickly. Again, when it comes to you know, the Florida legislation, it was a small subset of Disney employees that were screaming at management and the board to oppose Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature's parental rights legislation down there. And so what HRC is doing is saying, we need you employees that believe in our causes to somehow be even more vocal. So it was definitely a signal to the employee base that, you know, if you have conservative and traditional values, please be quiet. And if you back what HRC supports, speak up even louder, make your megaphone even bigger. This seems to be a play to empower the wokest corporate employees and give them all this power and the leverage to determine whether a particular company receives this designation or not. Is there any point at which corporate America just says to HRC and kind of the activist wing of this political movement, enough is enough. We've given you your equality. We've been tolerant. We've been respectful. You can't just keep tightening the wench on us and squeezing more out of us. Is there any chance that corporate America responds that way i would like to see that and you know it would take it would take a bit of courage um right because it's 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 a shakedown racket because not only do these corporations listen to hrc when it comes to how they should behave how they should treat their workers um and the like they actually fund hrc to tell them how to do it you know i i implore you know your your, the audience go to duckduckgo type in human rights campaign corporate sponsors it's a who's who of corporate America, and it's not just, you know, social media companies and Hollywood companies. No, it's, you know, across industries. It's defense. It's banking. It's, you know, um, travel. And, and, again, it's across industry. And so it, it's simply, you know, the, this cycle is very hard and it would take some corporate courage to break. And let me tell you, I don't see a lot of spying in corporate America these days, Joseph. Do we have any reason to think that just a financial contribution to HRC is going to be enough to become a quote-unquote bar setter? Oh, not a chance. No, no, not a chance. I mean, if you recall a few years ago, Bank of America, for example, got on the wrong side of the so-called bathroom bill in North Carolina. Um, And the response from Bank of America when HRC put on a public media campaign going against Um, the Bank of America and specifically some of their executives, they tried to apologize. They did apologize. They didn't try. They apologized and offered a massive donation, which HRC turned out. So, you know, you can, you can look up their 990s. They're public. HRC doesn't need any more money. Again, when they had this spat with Disney for not getting on to this um, Florida bill soon enough, again, Disney offered them millions of dollars as an apology just for not moving fast enough in HRC's direction, and they turned the money down. And so, no, you you, you can't buy your you know grace if you want if you will um, in, into the HRC. You have to you know walk the walk um, and talk the talk. 
Justin, we have seen, however, and you mentioned Disney, and I'll bring them up again here because they face some backlash uh, from the other direction because uh, they had taken some activist steps against legislation that the public in Florida really liked to uh, protect kids from sexually explicit material when they were very young. The public liked it. Disney fought against it. They fought a backlash. So are these companies, they, they seem to be stuck in the middle between what they know the public likes and what HRC wants them to do. How do you see this being resolved? Yeah, I, I think where Disney and um, State Farm both went a little bit too far is, you know, you don't mess with someone's wallet and you definitely don't mess with their children. Right, so that's where Disney and State Farm, they, they cross the line. These these groomer type, you know, activities, that's just that's just a step too far for parents. And when, especially Disney, which is a company that needs to cater to parents, because as much as the, you know, the second graders and third graders all love Encanto and they, they can't afford to buy any of the product, so they need to cater to parents. And that's where they, they, they really went over and, and they hit a tripwire. And Disney's a little bit unique in that Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature has a tremendous amount of power over, you know, some of the special corporate breaks that they had worked into the system and baked into the cake over the years that they're trying to undo. And so I, I just think to that off, that we are out of time. I've got to let you go. Thank you so much for being with us today. We'll do it again. Thanks. God bless us. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, Louisiana has passed a women's sports bill. We'll talk about it when we come back. Most of us have at least one friend or family member who is pro-choice or have engaged with someone who doesn't share our pro-life views. As Christians, we are called to defend the weak and to speak truth in love. When we advocate for the unborn, we must do so in a way that is both honest and loving. At Family Research Council, we recognize the inherent dignity of every human life, from conception until natural death. The value of human life is not conditional upon its usefulness to others or an arbitrary evaluation of a person's quality of life. Rather, the value of human life is unconditional because God, the author of life, has created all humans in his image. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by helping others speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Access our free resources at frc.org life so that you can address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. Attention university students. Do you feel called to promote faith, family, and freedom in public policy and the culture? Are you hoping to grow in Christian leadership? Then join Family Research Council for an unforgettable internship. FRC's 12 to 15 week internship program is designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is necessary for government to serve the people and for culture to thrive. As an intern, you work alongside FRC's experts who will invest in your personal and professional development as you prepare to make a kingdom impact in the world. This paid internship offers free housing in D.C., allowing you to experience community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org slash internships. That's frc.org slash internships. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. Earlier this week on Monday, Louisiana officially became the 18th state to protect women and girls sports 
when Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards allowed Senate Bill 44 to become law without his signature. Now, Governor Edwards had killed a similar version of the bill last year, and he said he is opposed to Senate Bill 44. But he recognized that it was going to become law whether he signed it or vetoed it. And he said he finds the message that the bill sends distressing. The effect is to tell, send a strong message to at least some of these young people that they shouldn't be who they think they are, who they believe they are, who they know that they are. And we shouldn't pretend that there's unfairness when there's not. Is the bill's message really distressing? And is there really no problem here to discuss it? Is Gene Mills. He's the president of the Louisiana Family Forum and who I hope to be when I grow up. Gene, welcome back to the program. It's good to be with you, Joseph. Appreciate that. And it's good to appreciate the good work y'all are doing. Well, it's good to see you. You heard Governor Edwards' comments there. What's your reaction to the message that this bill sends the people of Louisiana? Well, the message was a distinctively Louisiana value. It's the message that his parents taught him. It's probably the message his grandmother taught him, that we're to respect ladies, and we do that by treating them with the highest degree of regard. Uh, So his message that this is harmful, I concur there are some harmful components to allowing biological men to compete against biological females. But the harm comes to the females who are injured or who are set aside or displaced at the awards banquet when biological boys take over. And that's the concern we had. That's the concern that we addressed. We certainly didn't mean it in a manner that would bring any mean-spiritedness or rebuke to anyone. Look, if somebody who self-identifies as a gender opposite from the one that they're birth certificate or their genes indicate, Louisiana, uh, you still have an opportunity to either create a category or to compete in the category that you were born in. So we don't see this as discriminatory at all. Gene, Governor Edwards also said that there hasn't been a single instance in Louisiana uh, of this happening, of of a boy identifying as a girl trying to compete in girl sports. Is that true or does that even matter? It does matter. Uh, It's factually, probably partially correct. The Louisiana High School Athletic Association prohibits it. Our standard goes higher, and the LHSAA came out in support of our measure, Save Women's Sports. But I think a bigger eclipsing component is the fact that we compete at a national level through our collegiate athletes, LSU, the University of Louisiana, and Lafayette, and the dozen or so colleges that we have in the state of Louisiana do compete across category and across the nation. And with regard to that fact, no, he's wrong. He's factually mistaken. And that information has hit national news. I don't know how it escaped his attention, but no, we have competitive athletes in the female category who are being beaten by biological males in 20 odd, some different categories uh, I think I saw a report that you referenced earlier and we reported on a few days ago, 28 or so uh, blue ribbons or gold medals went to the wrong individual since 2003. So this has been around for a while. It's kind of low key 
And I think we have a tendency to sit on it or say that's an anomaly. But the reality is when you compete at a national level, like LSU does and like our competitive athletes throughout collegiate sports, it's inevitable. It's just a matter of time before you bump into that, that odd situation. And Gene, and you point out that stat that has been highlighted uh, here at FRC and other places as well. Since 2003, 28 biological males have been crowned champions in female sporting events. But now Louisiana is the 18th state to pass legislation saying that can't happen here. What do you think the future of this issue is? Well, I don't think it, they're going to not lay dormant. You're going to continue to have people that try to test the limits. The, the beauty and the limitation of any political victory is that it's not permanent. Anything that you won or lost this year, you got to defend and represent in subsequent years. And that's going to be the case in Louisiana. You can always have people that try to push the line, push the category. But I think we sent a message that is a distinctively Louisiana value, and that is we value our daughters, our sisters, our nieces, our granddaughters, and we're going to protect them on the competitive playing field. And we understand that there are odd anomalies. You may have a female kicker who tries out for a football team in the boys category. This measure doesn't prohibit that. That individual athlete understands the risk and steps into an arena where she may incur greater harm or risk. The corollary of that is not true when a biological male steps into a female category. He potentially could harm any given individual on that playing field. So I don't think this is over, but I think with regard to Louisiana, we've spoken. We did it last year, and we nearly overrode his veto last year. We came up for two votes shy in the House, which we had before uh, we went into special session. And because In about 15 vote, seconds, uh, interested, what's the, what's the public sentiment? How's the people of Louisiana feel about this? 80-plus percent of the Louisiana population is in support of this measure. They're delighted. And Governor John Bell Edwards has been rebuked. Dean Mills, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Joseph. We'll see you soon. Coming up next, David Clawson will join me and we'll talk about the correct response for Christians to Pride Month. We'll have that conversation in our worldview segment, so don't go anywhere. Religious liberty is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's own choosing and to live in accordance with those beliefs. It is an inherent human right. Therefore, Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty strives to advance religious liberty for all people of all faiths. Advocates for strong religious liberty protections are often labeled bigots, but for those familiar with the history of religious liberty in the United States, until recently it was embraced by a majority of Americans. In fact, religious liberty has historically had bipartisan support. Today, efforts to restrict this freedom have become increasingly common. Therefore, Christians need to articulate with greater clarity why we support religious liberty and why all people are served when religious liberty thrives. Access the Center for Religious Liberty's free resources to learn more at frc.org slash religious liberty. In today's culture, there are few examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need a model of leadership, strength, courage, and sacrificial love that they can look to. But where can they find it? 
Try our Stand Courageous men's ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous men's conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have the generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. At Family Research Council, we want to be able to keep you informed on our latest resources and events. Due to the growing threat of tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've created a tech subscription platform so that we can stay connected. So if we get canceled, you can continue to receive updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAN to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742 and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Joseph back home sitting in for Tony today. He'll be back with you on Monday. Reminder that the website is TonyPerkins.com. In case you somehow missed all of the rainbows, it is Pride Month, a time when Americans are expected to express their support of all things LGBTQIASS+, etc. Here's how this is being celebrated at the Department of Defense. The LGBTQ plus Americans we recognize and celebrate today. They represent a community of Americans who are among the most vulnerable in every category our society measures. Safety from violence, education, housing, employment, health care. That was Sean Skelly, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Readiness and the highest ranking openly trans defense official speaking at the Defense Department's 11th annual Pride Month celebration on Monday. So as we go through this month, what should Christians remember about Pride Month? That's the focus of an article I wrote this week for Washington Stand, last week in fact, and that's the topic of today's Biblical Worldview discussion with my colleague David Clausen, the director of FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview. David, good to see you today. Hey, great to see you and great to be back on with you, Joseph. Well, we it, it's been a minute as we have been uh, traipsing around to our various uh, our, our travels, but it's good to see you as well. And this is an important conversation. And before I get into this subject of of how Christians should respond to this, I want to talk a bit about kind of the victim status. And there's a story that came out of uh, Major League Baseball this week that I believe you saw. I assume you're going to you saw, and if you didn't, I'll tell you about it. The Tampa Bay Devil Rays, uh, because they had a pride night, as so many companies do. I don't think every team does, but they had a pride night. 
And as part of Pride Night, they modified their team logo that would go on the uniforms to incorporate the rainbow. And there were several players on that team who objected to that. And of course, then there were people who objected to their objection, and we know how this thing goes. But it occurs to me that the rainbow, we all know, is a highly controversial political symbol, right? And I don't think it's a stretch to compare it to like the GOP logo or the NRA logo or a cross or a crescent moon or a symbol that represents something very specific that may be near and dear to some people but may not be near and dear to other people. Why is it that the Tampa Bay Devil Rays would feel comfortable asking their players to put that particular divisive logo on their bodies, on their uniforms, but wouldn't dream of doing that with some other kind of logo? Yeah, you're right. They wouldn't, Joseph. And being from Orlando, my favorite baseball team growing up was the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, who have since become the Rays, actually. So I grew up going to a lot of Rays games. And I think the question you're asking, it's, it's important. I think it's, you know, they, I think this is the 16th year in a row that they've done this. And I think kind of the cultural elites, uh, those who run big business and big tech, uh, Hollywood, the media, uh, the list goes on. They've almost, you know, the, the bubbles that they live in um, is just that this has become so culturally accepted that they, they I assume the, the organ, you know, the, the administrators at the Tampa Bay Rays, they didn't even think this would be controversial probably when they put this edict out for the players. But what's interesting is that a lot of these these ball players, um, they're they're Catholic. They're, they're a lot of them are Christian. They come from Hispanic countries. And this, a couple of the players just articulated it so well that this was something that they thought was a step beyond what Major League Baseball and their organization could tell them to do because it violated their deeply held beliefs. And you're right, Joseph, uh, the Rays wouldn't have dreamed of having them put an NRA, you know, uh, slogan on their jersey. But again, it shows in one sense how out of touch a lot of the elites are uh, just with a lot of Americans who do feel that this is being pushed down their throat every single day. The LGBT lobby continues in Pride Month and the rest of the year, frankly, as well, to assert that they are marginalized, that they are victims of all sorts of things. And individually, to be sure, that is that is true. But as a movement, they claim that we are essentially the marginalized. But when you can get people to do things for you that they wouldn't dream of doing for anyone else, is that the moment at which you have to kind of turn in your victim card? I, I think so, Joseph. It's interesting. What are we in right now? We are in Pride Month. Uh, I read something earlier. You, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. He gets one day. Independence gets one day. Thanksgiving gets one day. And we now have the entire month of June where we're expected to display rainbow decals and fly rainbow flags. And so I think you're right. It, it was Carl Truman in his article in World Magazine. He said, you know, what we're seeing really is a comprehensive attempt at cultural revolution. When you get to that point, it is increasingly, it just seems absurd to try to say that there's the play the victim card when really anyone who dissents uh, is the one who's ridiculed and said that you're a bigot, you're outdated, and you're somehow subversive. Yeah. And to put a fine point on this part of the conversation, it remains true that the LGBT community is uh, it's disadvantaged in significant ways, specifically when you look at the transgender community, uh, the rates of suicide are real, the rates of mental health. Uh, this is a t- 
truly troubled community where there are individual people who have experienced tremendous pain, are broken in many ways, and deserve a lot of compassion and a lot of, and need a lot of help. So there are individuals to be sure, who who require compassion and, and help and assistance. But when it comes to this larger, uh, the group identity they try to claim and the, and the claim of political powerlessness that they assert as a way of trying to get cultural sympathy, in fact, it's one of the politically most powerful, if not the politically most powerful group of people in America today collectively punching far above their weight in terms of their representative representation within the general public. But let's move on to our next subject here. And what I really want to get in with you, David, I just think that's a helpful context, but Christians are navigating this situation and everybody in there, depending on what school they're in or what their corporate environment is, uh, they're being asked in various ways to participate in this. And a lot of Christians find this to be um, hostile. And the first question I want to ask you is whether Christians should be surprised by that when they find themselves in a hostile environment where the people around them are doing things that they just don't feel comfortable with. I don't think so, Joseph. And I think, um, you know, as those of us who are Christians and we read our Bibles, especially we read our New Testament, we read uh, what Jesus teaches I think, you know, it was actually the article that you put that we have on frc.org slash worldview. Uh, It was the second point you made. You said, you know, being a Christian is supposed to feel weird. And I think, you know, as those of us who follow Jesus, Jesus actually, um, you read the gospel, you read the gospel of John. And those final couple of chapters, chapters 13 through 17, Jesus' final teaching to his disciples. And it's remarkable to me, Joseph, that in chapters 15 and 16, Jesus spends a remarkable amount of that space uh, again, he only has a few more moments with his disciples. And so what he chooses to spend his time on should be of a lot of importance to us. And in 15 and 16, he spends a lot of time talking about persecution. As they treated me, as they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Again, so those of us who are Christians in this country for a long time have enjoyed some. We've been in the cultural majority. We haven't had to endure a lot of persecution. Uh, I think that's changing. We saw the way the government treated a lot of churches during COVID. That was a shift. Um, but I, I do think, in a sense, when we feel like we're out of step with the culture, we feel that tension, Joseph. I think that we should expect that uh, because at the end of the day, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is, is not going to necessarily be with the majority. It's not going to be with the crowd. That's exactly right. And Jesus would not have spent as much time as he did telling us how to respond when people mistreat us if he did not expect people to mistreat us. So it's one of those situations where we can, you know, when it happens, uh, he's equipped us for those moments. So a follow-up question to that then is to what extent should Christians try to fit in in these situations? I think one thing I would say, just this goes back to a comment you made a moment ago, you know, we should be winsome. We've talked about this. You know, we don't want to go looking to pick a fight or to be, uh, you know, to agitate someone. Uh, Ephesians 4, 5, it's a verse I've quoted before uh, with you talking about these issues. Christians ought to be the people who speak the truth in love. And so I think we, we need to realize we need to hold both of those. I think sometimes we're tempted to we just want to be so loving that we, we never speak up. We, we never um, say that we feel uncomfortable or we, you know, or we, there's some Christians who can, you know, be all 
truth, all conviction, all propositional truth. And, and as Christians, I think we need to really make sure uh, we're searching our hearts, we're searching our motivations, we're searching our spirits, but we need to lean into both of those. We need to be people who don't give an inch. I think mean, that's a phrase you used in the article we have on the website. We, we can't give an inch. We can't back down. But I think we can do so in a kind and loving way. We should be, after all, just the people who embody the fruit of the Spirit. But even as we're embodying the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, and gentleness, we should also be people rooted in convictional truth. Perhaps my favorite biblical illustration or a story that kind of applies to this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I assume I've talked about this before. But they faced a very similar scenario, and, and most people in, in the audience are going to be familiar with this story. But Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow to an idol as as a way of, of showing their loyalty to him, the king. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could not do so. They were Jewish, and they, had, uh, they, they knew very clearly the Ten Commandments told them to have no other gods besides Yahweh. They weren't going to be bowing to other idols. But when I put myself in that situation, I feel like I could, I feel like I could justify a small little compromise as a way of saving my life, right? I mean, it's a bow. God knows it in my heart. I'm not really worshiping the statue, but I mean, you know, for heaven's sake, we don't want to be incinerated, do we, right? God will surely understand this situation. But I think there's a, there's a biblical principle there that we don't, we don't compromise even on the small things, and we know how God redeemed that situation. But even for those of us who are not uh, being threatened immediately with a fiery furnace and being threatened with incineration, there's a practical truth here as well. It's because if you do give an inch, if you compromise even a little bit to their demands, all that does is incentivize more bullying. You will not discourage the harassment. You will only incentivize it because they know, they sense the weakness. So if you draw your line in the sand, plant your flag, say, this is who I am. I'm not moving anywhere. Eventually, they have to move on because they know you can't be moved. But once they realize you can be moved, the pressure to move you will only increase. So I think you only do yourselves favors when you draw your line in the sand, you let the whole world know this is who I am. This is what I about. And you move on much more quickly uh, when you do that. But David, I want to get into the next question here, because in this conversation and in so many others around cultural issues, the, the culture war issues, Christians are accused of being too negative. Hmm. And I think this is one of those situations where oh, you're just against things. You're just against gay people. You're just against happiness. What's your what's your response to the idea that that Christians are just opposed to everything? Yeah, I'd say we need to go back and actually read our Bibles because, sure, there, there, there are sins, Joseph, that we, we are against. We're against pride. We're against lust. We're against gluttony. Uh, but the Bible presents a compelling vision uh, for God's design for marriage and for sexuality. Uh, right now, I'm working on a, a, a curriculum that FRC is going to be publishing in the fall. And it's just amazing returning to those verses, Joseph, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, God's design, his plan for marriage is, is one that is that is beautiful. And the way the scripture explains this, and, you know, obviously sin comes in in Genesis 3, and we, we live in a fallen world. Uh, but again, we are, we are pro marriage. We are we are pro the thriving and flourishing that comes from that. And and God is so gracious in His Word to tell us that when we depart from His plan, uh, there are consequences. And so yes, you know, we, we I think Christians um, we can put a positive spin on what we are for, and then what we can lovingly do is say that God's Word 
tells us that if we step outside the bounds, the, the guardrail, so to speak, then negative things happen for us, for those in society. And so, yes, we, we need to have a clear sexual ethic uh, that is clear on what is outside of the bounds. Uh, but I do think, Joseph, um, we can present a compelling picture uh, for what God is pro. He's pro-marriage. He's th- pro-our yeah. thriving uh, within the context that he set up for us. That's exactly right. And I think it's important for people to understand that necessarily, just logically, whenever you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to its opposite or an alternative. And when Christians say no to doing whatever we want sexually, it's because we're saying yes to fulfilling the design that God put in us biologically, physiologically, even to to connect with one person sexually. Uh, and that, that's our bodies are designed, um, the hormones that, that cause that to happen. When we say no to children being created through surrogacy situations and given to two men to raise them, it's not because we hate those two men. It's because we're saying yes to the idea that every child deserves to know and be loved by its mother and father. And that's going to be the best situation for that child. So I I encourage everybody as you're listening Remember the things that you're saying yes to. Remember the alternatives to what the culture is proposing. And if we can articulate those things, we will have much more successful interactions and conversations. And finally, David, uh, we've got just under a minute left. But if people face the pressure, if they face the heat, if they face the insults, what's the right way to respond in that moment? Yeah, Joseph, we've got to do it in truth and love. Uh, But at the end of the day, the way you end the show every Friday, we need to fear God and nothing else. And I think that's the conviction uh, that we need to have in our spines on this issue and all others. That uh, You've already ended it for me, but I'm going to have to do it again myself, David. But thank you so much for your time. And, and I'll encourage people also to pray for those who persecute you. Actually, go to prayer uh, on behalf of the people that you have those difficult conversations with to make sure that your heart for them is the way Jesus would want it to be. That is the end of our time together today, friends. We've enjoyed it so much. Thank you for being with us. We look forward to seeing you on Monday. And until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.